0: This is lesson number six. I've been talking about how to hear the voice of God in the details of life. If you're new online or you're new in the room, we're glad you're with us. I usually teach in succession and in series. So uh, this is lesson number six. How to hear the voice of God in the details of life. I just want to make it as practical, practical as we can. So I'm, I'm purposely slowing down. I had no idea it'd be six weeks. But you know when I slow down it just kind of happens that way. So I just want to recap some of the things very quickly that we've shared. And then just bounce off of that today. Romans 8.14 says as many as are led by the Spirit of God. These are the sons of God. God expects us to be led by the Holy Spirit. Proverbs 20.27. 20, the Spirit of man is the lamp or or candle or light bulb you could say of the Lord searching all the inner depths of his heart all those verses are saying is that God has promised that the Holy Spirit will guide and direct our life if we allow him to and how many know we need to allow him to today i mean it's a really strange day and i think we probably have have more uh stimuli mental stimuli than any generation that has ever existed Because of technology, people constantly are listening to things. And, you know, that constant listening can hinder the voice of God because uh, unlike all the voices around us, to hear the voice of God, you got to get quiet and you got to learn to hear. So we're talking about how to do that. Now, I've just been laying a foundation. We'll get real practical uh, uh you know here on out beginning last week we started getting real practical but we're laying a foundation week one we looked at a man named gideon in the old testament who basically said god if you want me to do this then you do that and a lot of people think that's the way that god speaks to us today not true uh, if i say god you know if you want me to do this then you do this thing that i can see i can feel others can see and feel so i can know that you can do that well if you do that the the enemy may accommodate you and he may they set up a pseudo thing that looks like God, but in the in the end is not. Coming, you know, you can't be led by circumstances. We're to be led by the Spirit. However, when you're led by the Spirit, it's amazing how circumstances may oppose, but but in the eventual end, they always work out. How many hear me? Week two, we talked about two ways we receive guidance from the Lord, specific guide, or general guidance, then specific guidance, the general guidance of the Word of God, and then specific guidance where we clearly hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And if I'll commit to the Word, you know, I've spent almost 44 years now I just can't. I mean, I'm at a loss for words to say what Jesus has done inside of me, and it's only because when you get the Word inside you, the Word gives you direction in life, and you no longer wander around wondering what you ought to do in this relationship, or what you ought to do in that situation, or what you ought to do with your finances, or with your life, or with your personal life. You have direct. Uh, you have direct influence from the Word that directs life. Yes. And if you let that happen, then, then we're a candidate for specific guidance where the Holy Spirit can speak. And we're getting to the point now, we, we're going to talk about how to hear him very, very clearly. And then we took a week three and week four, and we talked about uh, the fact that we are spirit beings in physical bodies. In fact, First Thessalonians five twenty three. We we went clearly through that. Uh, The Apostle Paul uh, revealed, May the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body. And we examined that in fair detail. All of this is on our website. My notes today are on the website, VictoryChurchRaleigh.com. So if you miss a week, you can go back and look at the video. You can listen to the podcast, the audio, and the notes are there as well. Then last week, we really started to get practical, and we mentioned there are three ways that God leads us in a practical way. The voice of conscience the voice of the holy spirit will start there next time voice of the holy spirit and then the inward witness and we'll spend some time talking about the inward witness romans 8 16 says says um, his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of god and it's that inward witness it's not so much a voice But it's just an inward knowing that comes, and and you got to get really quiet to hear that. So we'll talk about that, and I'll give some pertinent personal examples as well. Um, Last week, we started talking about the voice of conscience, and I had eight points about the voice of conscience. And I think we got to the first four, and uh, we'll cover the rest of them today. The voice of conscience. How many know you can be born again and have a conscience that's still not clear and not trained in spiritual things? And we tried to cover that very clearly last week. In fact, conscience can be like the sun on a cloudy day. Again, the sun's in the sky. You know, it's up there somewhere. You kind of can detect probably where it is, but not exactly because you can't see it because of the clouds. And that's that's an unclear conscience. And that's how an unclear conscience can be. You know God's saying something, just not sure what. And so again, our conscience has to be trained. The conscience of a believer may or may not be a safe guide. It's determined as to how you live. So that's the reason. And all of us have had this experiencing. You can see one believer's acting this way, another believer's acting this way, and you're scratching your head thinking, you know, wait a minute. That person's a Christian and they're doing that? Or they're saying that? Have you ever thought that? Now three of you are shaking your head. What about the rest? You know, I could put, you know, all of us could put both hands up and say, yep, that's it. Why is that? It's because of conscience. Not everybody's conscience is at the same place. Conscience is developed and trained by the circumstances of life, observation, association, and influence with the people around us, primarily the people in our family. So we went into fair detail on this uh, last week. Uh, so we went through several points. The first point: the conscience must be trained in the Word, and only then it is it, is it a safe guide. And we looked at First John three about that. And then we gave an Old Testament analogy of how of how your conscience really can can. Uh, can have in it some some uh, residue from your old life. And we looked at, at Israel going into the promised land. They had all of the pagan cultures around them with pagan rituals, pagan religions, pagan customs, ways of doing, ways of living. And God said, don't have anything to do with them. If you do, there'll be pricks in your eyes and thorns in your sides, and they will hinder your walk with me. Well, the Israelites didn't listen to God, and sure enough, their eyes... Their eyes had sticks in them and they had pricks in their side. That is, they were goads constantly. They were constantly being hindered in life because their belief system... They assumed a belief system that came from the cultures around them. That's what happens with us as believers. God designed, God designed. Number three, we mentioned this last week, God designed our conscience to grow in an atmosphere of unconditional love in a healthy family where love rules. So we learn what love looks like in our families and our conscience is developed in our family structure. The problem in America today is we have a huge breakdown in the family. And uh, it's been going on since World War II, maybe a little bit before that. But it's a huge, huge problem. We, the family structure now is so fractured that now we have people that think they're doing right by by destroying other people's lives, hollering in people's faces in cities all over our nation, and their conscience says it's absolutely fine. How can a person allow that kind of behavior in their own life? Their conscience allows it. Why would their conscience allow it? Well, it's training or lack thereof in the home. How many hear me? So no nation can be any stronger than its home life. Is that true? That's the reason the enemy wants to attack your marriage. He wants to attack your life through your family. He wants you and your spouse to always be um, uh, against one another. He wants, you to, he wants you to have a bad relationship with each other so your children will become confused. So again, our consciences are trained in the home. We, look what, look, we, we learn what love looks like at home when our home is full of control. We mentioned this last week, abuse, guilt, guilt neglect, then the very people that should love us are the ones that sometimes take advantage of us. When you're raised in a home like that, how many know it becomes quite confusing? And I've, I've been in ministry since 1981, and I'm telling you, it's really heartbreaking to see some of the ways that people are treated in their homes. If you have a loving father and a loving mother who, ba- who take care of you, they're not perfect, then how many know you're a very wealthy person? Because so many people come from challenging, broken homes. So many people grow up in an atmosphere, I mentioned this last week, charged with accusation, anger, bitterness, revenge, ridicule. And so instead of unconditional love, that love is based on performance. And it produces so much. People raised in homes where there's anger, just read my notes, anger, manipulation, control, various kinds of abuses, then they'll have a, have a conscience clouded with fear, with anger, resentment, distrust, and self-protective responses that accuse and defame. I mean, I know it's hard to hear God when that kind of stuff's on the inside. So what's the cure for that? Well, let me just say, and we'll talk about the cure beginning today. How do you change your belief system? Maybe you were raised in an environment of ridicule. Maybe you were raised in an environment of control. You know, maybe, maybe an environment of fear. Maybe an environment where a, an angry person ruled your home. You know what that does? It clouds you on the inside, causes you to be a person that you, you don't know if you can even trust yourself, much or less anybody else. How many know it's really hard to hear God? Those are clouds that obscure the voice of God. So conscience, we're talking about conscience that's got to be trained. We mentioned last week again that, again, conscience is trained. Conscience is trained by, 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 by living and God originally designed that we live in a loving atmosphere where a loving father and a, strong, a loving father, a loving mother, a strong family unit is there. And in that environment, you learn unconditional self-sacrificial love. Most of us, to, to many of us, that's a foreign concept. And if that's something you were raised in, how many know you're a wealthy person? You say, well, pastor, I wasn't raised in that. How can I change? How can I, how can I, How can I move the clouds away from my conscience? So number five, in our eight points, that leads me to number five, mind renewal. Everybody say mind renewal. Now, nobody in our culture says mind renewal today. You just don't use that kind of vocabulary. But really, if you understand the biblical concept of changing your thought patterns, when you change your thought patterns, it changes behavior, y'all, That's the cool thing. We've got two kinds of thoughts. We've got conscious thoughts. You're conscious of of what you're thinking. You may be hopefully conscious of listening to me. You may be, you know, thinking about lunch and who you're going to go out with today. Or maybe you're thinking about what you're doing on your day off tomorrow. Hopefully you tune back in and hear me now. But anyway, you have conscious thoughts. And then we have underlying thought patterns. And those underlying thought patterns are deeper than conscious thought. And those underlying thought patterns, that's just another way to say a personal belief system. And it's that personal belief system that rules our day. It's that the underlying thought patterns. That's the reason you can come to church. And didn't we have a good worship time today? You can come to church, worship the Lord, make some confessions like we did, you know, in the interim And enjoy some good fellowship and laugh and joke and smile. But when you get off by yourself, you do some things. Why in the world did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I act that way? That's just, I don't want to be that way. Why do you, uh, Romans 7, Paul said, I do what I don't want to do. What I want to do, I don't do. What I don't do, I want to do. I want to obey God, but I'm having a hard time. Why It's the underlying thought patterns? The only way that I change my behavior, I've got to change what I think internally, deeply about life. And those things are set, you know, by age about five or six, what you think about yourself, what you think about the Lord, what you think about others and how you, how you associate with Him in the varying levels of life. All that's pretty much set. So how many know uh, parents, we have huge responsibilities to nurture our children. And help them understand God and life and the world around them. And how many know they don't do what we say, they do what we do. And so, you know, we, we, we pattern our children by just living life in front of them. Susan and I got six grandchildren, two on the way. And it's just amazing to me that, you know, they, they mimic us. My grandson will do what I do, go where I go. My granddaughter, she'll say she can't even talk, and she's mouthing words real loud. I mean, just crazy, because she sees us singing, as she sees us talking. Is that true? And so, all of us are that way. Children learn by example, so they learn, and so underlying thought patterns are trained uh, as uh, as children, as as we're children, and and then as we go through life, we have things that happen in life. And they add to those underlying thought patterns. When you come to the Lord, you know, you come just as I am without one plea. was saying the song when I was a little boy. But that your blood was shed for me. I come just as I am. And you know, Jesus changes our spirit nature. Is that good news? I say, well, how can you, you say, Pastor, how can I know that I'm really saved? When you're born again and you do something you shouldn't do, there's, there's a scratch inside. How many hear me? If you used to steal and you try to steal now, you can't do it. If you used to curse and you curse now that you know the Lord, there's a scratch. Is that true? If you were immoral and try to be immoral as a believer, there's something inside that says I can't be that way. And if there's nothing inside that challenges my behavior, if my behavior, if I say I know Jesus and I go to church... And and you attend services and say I'm a Christian, read my Bible, maybe even pray. But if my life never changes, there's never a scratch. I need to challenge if I'm really saved. Is that true? So that's where we're at. To good day. I think there's a lot of people filling our churches all over, particularly America, that say they're saved, but lifestyle has never changed. The scratch inside. Does that make sense? It's just simply not there because if it's there, you know, you can only handle it so long and you just got to change. Tell me hear me. Uh, and you say, God, help me. So go to your pastor, help me, go to your friend, please help me. I, I got to stop doing this, right? And we change when those underlying thought patterns change. Rome, uh, Paul mentioned this in Romans chapter 12. King James Bible, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that uh, that word transformed, uh, we get our English word metamorphosis from that word transform. Uh, that word transform comes from, from the Greek word metamorphosis, the uh, Greek word. We get our English word, I got it all backwards, transformed from that word. And it means a change from within. You know, uh, a caterpillar to a butterfly, a tadpole to a frog. I mean, how does that happen? Something start, uh, an internal mechanism turns on. And when I get the word inside me and then my underlying thought patterns begin to change by the renewing, that word renewing means the complete renovation of my mental processes. When that begins to happen, I begin to change as a believer. I can i can stand, I'm, not, I'm nowhere near pfft, perfect, but I can tell you I ain't what I used to be. I mean, 44 years ago, I mean, people, my friends that knew me, when I was in school, when I was in college, they wouldn't know me today because I'm a different person. I don't respond the same way. I don't think the same way. I don't act. way. some ways I do, but most ways it's changed because God's got inside. How many know he makes a change? Uh, New Living Translation of Romans 12, 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you. Metamorphosis into a new person by changing the way you think. Then watch. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. That's why why I'm talking about conscience and belief system. When our belief system agrees with what God says, it makes it easier for us to hear the voice of God. The good, what does it say in New Living Translation? The good, the pleasing, and perfect. There's the good will of God, the pleasing will of God, the perfect will of God. There's a progression in it. And so, again, we can find the will of God as our minds are renewed. And I don't, I'm not going into this, but one part of mind renewal is meditation. And I think uh, last uh, November into December, in fact, uh, my first book's coming out probably a few months from now. we got the manuscript done, but I'm talking about meditation because, well, you can clap if you want to. <laughs> you know, meditation changed my life, and I just wanted to put that in print because it's so... I just can't even describe what it's done to me. I've taken time to start with. I didn't know I was meditating and then found out that just the things that I had to do as a young 18, 19, 20-year-old just to exist, just to keep myself from sliding into the, over, into the, over the precipice back into the world and into sin, I had to do some things to get my mind out of the gutter. And I found out what I was doing was meditating in the Word, not, not mystical uh, meditation, Near East meditation, Far East meditation where I'm quoting a mantra. No, I'm taking scripture and letting it revolve over and over and over and I'm taking the problem areas of life and scripture that deal with it. Scriptures that deal with my words, with my motivations, with my thoughts, with my behaviors, my actions in various ways, with anger, all kinds of things. And you know, I begin to meditate them as I did. You know what it did? Meditation does this, takes the word you have in your head, drops it about a foot in your half from your from your physical mind to your spirit nature that's the reason the bible calls your heart uh, another a synonymous term for spirit in the bible is the heart the hidden man of the heart the apostle peter mentioned in first peter chapter three let it be the hidden man of the heart that's your spirit nature when you meditate it drops the word when the word gets down inside it changes how we think what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about others, what we believe of how many... No, it really works. But you got to meditate. And meditation, if you'll take 10 to 15 minutes a day, or I'll just say 5 to 10 minutes a day, take one scripture in a problem area of life. Meditate it. That is, let it cogitate, let it revolve over and over in your thinking. It'll change who you are over a period of time. And it'll rewrite... The belief system. So, so having said that, let me just make this comment number, uh, number six in my eight points uh, to change conscience. Developing your love nature will begin to renew and cleanse your conscience. That's my sixth point. So I want to talk about that a minute. How many know the first fruit of a person who's been born again? The born again human spirit. The first fruit that, that exudes from us once we come to Jesus, is the ability to love another person who is unlovely. 1 John 3, 14, we know we've passed from death to life. In fact, New Living Translation, if we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we've passed from death to life. A person who has no love is still dead. Now, that's not a, just a friendly love. That's a love that can love people who don't live right who don't treat you nicely, people who aggravate you and abruptly accuse you and say things to defame you and hinder you. You, If you can love that kind of person, you got something inside you didn't have when you were born. You've been born again, right? And in Romans 5, 5, the Apostle Paul, hope does not disappoint. The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So developing our ability to love. If you'll develop the love nature God placed inside, See, that, that'll go a long ways towards changing the underlying thought patterns that we have in life created by living life in our homes and interacting with the people around us. So, for me, now again, um, you know, I mentioned last week that I had that proverbial knot in my throat. Uh, most of my life, most of my life until I came to the Lord, just emotionally, I felt just like I was just not where I needed to be and I had been hurt by lots of things. I let, how many know if you're hurt, you let things hurt you? You got to choose what you do. You can choose to hold on to it or you can choose to let it go. Yes or no? If you choose to hold on to it, you'll be a bitter, aggravating person like I was. So here I was in my bitter, bitter, aggravating self. and, And, you know, when I started reading through the New Testament, came to 1 Corinthians 13. In 1977, in the fall of the year, I bought an amplified Bible. And I didn't, all I ever had as a kid was a King James Bible. And in, but in 1977, somewhere in the 70s, the Amplified Bible came out And it became very popular. I bought one from a bookstore, and I began to read the New Testament in Amplified. The Amplified takes the original meanings uh, from Greek and Aramaic in the New Testament and Hebrew in the Old, and it just expounds it. And there's, you know, a one-word translation doesn't always work from one language to another. So I began to read Amplified in my personal private time with the Lord. And you know what? I just had to slow, uh, slow down. I took a speed reading course in one of the schools I went to, and, you know, I can... You know, I don't know if I can humbly say how many words I can read a minute, but I can read pretty fast if I want to. But I found out when you read the Bible, don't speed read. And I started slowing down. And now I got to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Can I, I just want to talk. I just want to slow down. Can I slow down? 1 Corinthians 13. When I got to 1 Corinthians 13, I had, I had to slow down. In fact, I slowed down and, and just got real quiet. In fact, it got to the point; it got so strong. I had a blue rug in my room in my parents' home. I laid my amplified Bible down on that rug, and I'm not making. I got. I got in the squatting position on the rug, sat on the rug, and then I got on my all fours and read it. And then I'd read, "Love endures long." This is amplified, and is patient and kind. Love endures long. I say, "Oh Lord, I don't endure long, man. My my anger." My anger's right on the edge. One word can set it off. I don't endure long. Help me. And then it's patient. Ah, I'm opposite of that. And kind. I can be as belligerent as a billy goat. And I just say it. Lord, I need help, right? Love never is envious. Well, I envy everybody around me. I wish I had that person's voice. I wish I had that person's hair. I wish I had that person's clothes. Lord, I envy. See, when you apply the word to you, it starts changing things inside. Yes or no? Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy. I found myself, first girlfriend I had, my Lord, I was jealous of every boy that even took one little slight look at her. What are you doing? What are you doing? I was jealous of everything. is boast, not boastful or vainglorious. It doesn't think about itself first. does not display itself haughtily. It's not conceited. Now, I'm just going to read because I'll spend the rest of the time if I'm not careful. It's not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. And I was. It's not rude, unmannerly, and does not act unbecomingly. And sometimes I was extremely rude. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it's not self-seeking. Y'all, I've spent a lot of time right there. When I'd read these things, sometimes my forehead would hit the floor and say, Oh God, oh God, I'm just not like that. I, 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 how can I ever change to be that way? Help me. I say, Lord, help me change. Remind me when I'm not patient. Remind me when I'm not enduring long. Remind me when I'm prideful. Remind me when I'm putting myself first. Holy Spirit, rise up in me when I'm talking in a way I shouldn't talk. How many of you, If you read the Bible that way, you'll change. But if you read it like most people just to salve the conscience, I say, well, I, I read the Bible today. It'll Do you no good? It's not touchy or fretful or resentful. And all of those were my good friends. It takes no account of the evil done to it. Now, this one got me. It takes no account. Accountant, he lists things. He makes lists. One translation says love doesn't make lists. So with everybody I saw, I had a list. Mama. I had a list under mama's name. I'm sorry, mom. I did. I had to forgive you because I held offense. Daddy. I had had a list. Brother. I don't have any sisters, you know, uh, friends, teachers. I mean, bosses. I had lists with everybody and Scripture says, love does, uh, takes no account of the evil done to it, pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It doesn't, it doesn't rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but it rejoices when right and truth prevail. So I had to get before God and say, Lord, I forgive this person for this, 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 this. this. It just kept on and on. And you know, little bit by little bit, those underlying thought patterns begin to change. And then it says, love bears up under anything and everything that comes is ever ready to believe the best of every person. And I said, Lord, I believe the worst of everybody. I'm looking for the world. I'm looking for them to do something. I'm looking for them to do something I can criticize. And often I wouldn't criticize externally. I criticized internally, but nobody knew it but God. How many hear me? And you know, when you take that and you get before God and meditate it, It just changes who you are inside, y'all. The word is the most powerful thing you'll ever read. That's the reason they're taking it out of schools. That's the reason communist countries will arrest people with Bibles. The Bible is a power, it's more powerful than authoritarian governments. How many hear what I just said? It's a powerful force, it's not a money power. It's a God power, it's a spiritual force that changes human beings. And if you know the Bible, it keeps, you, it, it keeps people from being able to control you. They might tie your hands, and they might bind you in a prison, but you're the Lord's free person. Nothing bothers you, right? Its hopes are faithless under all circumstances. It endures everything without weakening. My encouragement to us all. Find an amplified where there's lots of great modern translations. I had a couple more in my notes. Get them and meditate on love. If you do, I'll tell you what it'll do it'll challenge that underlying thought, the underlying thought patterns that create belief system. And little bit by little bit, life will change. Number seven, don't sear your conscience. We live in a generation of people with seared consciences, repetitive injury produces hardness. You know, I've had calluses on my hands, my feet, from repetitive exercises or repetitive work in various ways. And that's what happens to the conscience. First Timothy 4.2, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. I don't know about you, I'm very careful with what I listen to. I've said this before and people don't like it. If you listen to a lot of news, you are listening to deception, hypocrisy. Did you hear what I said? Twisted words, twisted thoughts, non-truths. That's what news has become today. I don't care what you listen to. It all has an agenda behind it. Is that true or not? I've lived long enough. I saw when I was a young boy stuff that used to be some semblance of fact, but it's evolved in recent years into a ploy. I don't know how to, what else to say, but it's hypocrisy. And there's our culture, having consciences seared with a hot iron. Seared with a hot iron. So think about that. A person who has a cauterized conscience Think about that. Kenneth Hagin, when I was in school 40 years ago, he mentioned that uh, he had a friend that he knew in his family. He'd go to his house. And I remember this because my grandmother's house is this way. You go in their house, and the guy had a, had a wood stove in his kitchen. My, my grandmother, you go at my grandmother's house, didn't you, Horton? Uh, she had a, a wood stove uh, in her kitchen until the day she died. They just living in an old house. And, and she was just an old-timer. And she would put coal or wood in that stove and keep that stove hot all day long, particularly in the winter. But she would heat up her coffee on the stove and always kept a, a pot of coffee on the stove and it was always hot. And Kenneth Hagan said he had a friend who, just like my grandmother, must have been that era of time, uh, left a hot steeping hot, you know, pot of coffee on the old wood stove. And he said many times they'd go into that guy's house, he'd pour him a. He'd, and it was almost boiling on the stove, he'd pour it into the cup, boiling hot coffee, and drink it straight down. Glup, 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 glup. He said, how in the world did that guy do that? Well, over a period of years and decades, he drank hot coffee over and over till he seared his esophagus. And Kenneth Hagin said to us students in his school, you can sear your conscience that way. Every time I do what God says not to do, and I do it on purpose, and I don't repent about it right then, I sear my conscience just a little bit. Is that true? I had a man, uh, I had an unfortunate experience years ago. It was 15 years ago or more. I had a guy sitting in my office. And, uh, you know, we're talking. He was a part of our church at the time. And as we began to talk, I challenged his behavior. Found out he's committing adultery against his wife. He's got a number of children. You know what that man said to me? There's nothing wrong with adultery. I can have sex with anybody I want to, whether I'm married or not. I said, really? Who told you that? He said, I know that's true. God doesn't mind if I do what? Oh, really? I said, oh, really? Can you show me that in the Bible? He said, I don't need to find it in the Bible. I can just tell you I can do what I want. I thought, man, now that is a seared conscience. huh? So here's a man that walked with us, helped us, was in ministry with us, and he lost his family. He lost the respect of his children. He lost a lot of things in life. It hindered him greatly. You know, someone said it may take a believer 20 years to backslide, to fall away from God. What is that? What are they saying? You know, when when I make when I make a decision to do what is not right, I'm chipping away. I'm I'm putting a callus on my conscience. How many know that's a danger dangerous thing? It's like the proverbial frog in the kettle. Hebrews three thirteen. We must each we must warn each other every day while it's still today, so that none of you are deceived by sin and hardened against God anytime I see a person who has no desire for God here's what I know little bit at a time they allow the enemy to talk to them sometimes the accusing voice of the enemy will tell a person say you've been through this hardship that hardship now I'm speaking by the spirit right now I'm talking to somebody I've been through this hardship that hardship this tough place that hard place and God hasn't kept it from happening God's God doesn't like me So I'm going to leave him alone. Did you know you can allow the circumstances of life to harden your conscience? By blaming God for the problems you have. Friend, God is not our problem. He is the solution. But the enemy of our soul will convince us that because God has forsaken us, he's turned his his face away when bad things happen and did nothing to keep it from happening, that it's obviously God's fault and nothing could be further from the truth. Sometimes God cannot because maybe somebody's not praying or somebody's not standing in the gap for the family. When somebody's abused, somebody's hurt, somebody's uh, has something happen that shouldn't happen. God can't keep a human will from doing what that human will wants to do unless there's intense intercession and prayer. And then sometimes he can keep it. But otherwise, sometimes I don't care how much people pray if there's a hardened heart and God can't get through uh Bad people do bad things to good people. Yes or no? And you just got to be willing to let it go. Otherwise, it can produce a hardened hardening against God. Notice what Paul said about the conscience, and i got one more thing to share. Notice what Paul said about the conscience. Acts 23, 1, then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And as you go through this, I'm not going to read all the scripture in the, in the notes that I have, but Paul lived every day, and his one goal was, I want to have a clear conscience every day. How many think that would be a good goal? Acts twenty four sixteen. This being so, I, I myself also strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and toward men. First Timothy one five. The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love and come from a that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. So he talks on and on again, and I've got more in the notes I'm not going to share. How many know a violated conscience muffles the voice of God? That's the bottom line. Lastly, number eight, how do you keep a clear conscience? Now, I want to take a little side journey here. Susan and I have four children. They're all grown and raised. None of them are perfect. They all have clay feet, just like me. Um, but we raised our children, and this may seem strange. You say, well, you must have raised your children to be a Christian. No, I wanted them to be a Christian. But this may shock you. You know what two goals I had in mind in raising children? Listen to this. I wrote it down so I could remember it. Just, I wanted to raise kids that are good citizens who are conscience-driven. Now, when my kids were little, that was in my mind all the time. I want to raise a good citizen. What do you mean by a good citizen? obeys the law, respects authority, respects other people is winsome and genuine, a good citizen who is conscience driven. Well, the underlying factor, you need to be saved if you're going to do that really, right? But I know a lot of Christians who aren't good citizens. Yes or no? I know a lot of Christians who aren't conscience driven too. How about you? Yeah. Well, I want them to be good citizens who are conscience driven. So, so, I wanted children who do the right thing because it's the right thing to do, not because I'm in the room. So when Susan and I, you know, disciplined our children, now this is not popular today, but it's still in the Bible. Proverbs 29, 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom. A child left to himself brings his mother or father, you could say, to shame. Uh, Or God's Word translation says a spanking and a warning produce wisdom. We need some more woodshed gospel today, is my opinion. <laughs> but an undisciplined child disgraces his mother. And then amplified, listen to this, Ephesians 6, 4, don't irritate, provoke your children to anger. Don't exasperate them to resentment. Rear them tenderly in the training. Now, two things, training and discipline. And then it calls it counsel and admonition. You don't just do one without the other. So, I mean, when my kids were young, see, I had a goal. I want a good citizen. I want a conscience-driven person that when I'm not in the room, they do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Right? Because one day, they're out from my jurisdiction, and they're going to do what they want to do. And, boy, they'll have hell to pay if they don't do it right. True? Because life, ni- life is not nice. So, when, I, when my children did wrong, we had rules. We were just three rules for living. I don't have time to go into it. And when they violated the one rule, I'd say, we, "We go to my. You never went to our bedroom when my kids were young. Don't go to my bedroom without permission. That's our room. That's our room. If you go into my room, it's by permission." And I'd always say, "Go to our. Go to the room. Go to my bedroom. Uh oh. You know your goose is cooked. You go to my room." So they're going, you know, trepidatiously. Oh, they sit down, and, and my Usually, they're already crying. I say, "Hush up, you're crying. Stop. What you crying for?" And the first thing I asked was, all right, tell me what happened and what you did. What did you do? What rule did you violate? What did you say? How did you act? How did you treat your brother, your sister? What did you do? Is that right or wrong? Well, that's wrong. How do you know it's wrong? Well, because of the, And we just talk about it and I'd share scripture with them. Whatever it was. Well, here's what the Bible says about that. Now, now am I supposed to leave you alone and act like this never happened? Or am I supposed to spank you? What does the Bible say? I'd read Scripture. Well, the Bible says you're supposed to discipline me. Okay, well, we're going to do that. Now, what was I doing? So, you know, here's what I did. I disciplined them. I disciplined me first. I never did it out of anger, number one. Never, ever. I always calmed myself down. Got a drink of water. Looked outside. Look at the birds flying. Look at the trees. <sighs> Take some deep breaths. Because kids can make you mad. Is it true? Yeah. Oh Jesus help us. And then we just have a conversation. Not just, just not spanking, but reproof. Here's what, what you did. Here's what the Bible says. Let's don't do that again. If you do, we're coming right back in here. And we'll just repeat the process. So once we did all the discipline, uh, they cried. I said, you got one minute to cry. I went out, got me another drink of water. Went back in the room. And they I know it sounds weird if you're just listening, so I'm just making faces of a kid who's, who's huffing and puffing after crying. <gasps> He's lost his breath. I say, now nice it's time to stop crying. Dry it up because it becomes sulking otherwise. All right, so, you know, I just disciplined you. I love you. And then, so, I, I, I say, I love you to pieces. And they're like, look away. Like You don't love me. Oh, I love you. Now we're going to pray. I want you to grab my hands. And I can hardly get them to grab my hand. Let's grab hands and pray. Okay, and let's ask God to forgive you what you did. And we'd pray, and I'd say, and I just had to repeat the prayer after me, Father, in Jesus' name, Father. I confess I did so and so. I can you know they confess it. And I say, Lord, I ask you to forgive me. They pray. Help me not to ever do that again, because if I do, I'm gonna come back in here in Jesus' name. And we did it every time. I'm not, I'm not making that up. Ask my kids. And you know what happened? You know what happened? I got really good kids. I could cry. They're not perfect. Conscience driven. Good citizen. You get it? Conscience. Friends, if you're not doing things like that, you're not developing the conscience of your children and you're ruining them for life. Because they'll think they're entitled to do, act any way they want to act with anyone they want to and treat anybody with disrespect. And that's our problem today. How to keep a clear conscience. That's what you do with your children. For us, we keep, a short, we, we keep a clear conscience with God by keeping short accounts with God. How many hear me? Refuse, listen, refuse to hide or to not talk to God about any act or any motive. Now, that's the way I live my life. I'm not perfect. I'm like you. I have, to, I have to live life with shoe leather on my feet. and I got to walk through life and sometimes I stub my toes and my shins and I mess up. But when I do, I fess up. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. You'll call upon me, go and pray to me. I'll listen to you and you'll seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. All of your heart means... Uh, without reservation there's nothing i hide from god so you need to ask yourself and i do too every day is there anything i'm doing saying thinking etc that i'm hiding from the lord that is i'm not saying anything to him about it well if you don't he still knows it yes or no you're not hiding but you're hiding yourself from him and when i hide myself from him my conscience is a little less tender yes or no so Psalm sixty-six, eighteen: 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Now, you know, when I was a young man, I read that and I said, wow, if I wanna get my prayers answered, I gotta be, be honest with God. He didn't say I have to be perfect. He just says, I've gotta be honest. If I regard iniquity in my heart, that is, I allow it to stay there and I don't do anything about the thoughts and feelings I have that I know are wrong. I'm, I'm hindering my conscience and I'm hindering my relationship with him. The Lord will not hear me, but certainly, he adds the positive in verse 19. But certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Isaiah 59, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. That's not just Old Testament. That's New Testament as well. We've got a, we've got a teaching that is error that started all 10, 12 years ago in the body of Christ, particularly in the Western world, that says, that says the grace of God covers all sin. And once your sins have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, you don't even have to confess your sins anymore. To confess your sins is a negative thing. Don't dwell on the negative, dwell on the positive. Nothing in the New Testament or Old Testament says that. The grace of God cleanses sin, but we have to keep our account short. And that's by confession. Two kinds of sin, real quickly as I'm closing. There's sins of omission, sins of commission. My, my, my pastor in the Baptist church when I was a little boy, I didn't even understand the word. He said, well, there's sins of omission and there's sins of commission. I said, what is that? I had no clue. Sins of omission. If I omit something, it's something I should have done that I, I didn't do. Some word I should have spoken. Something I should have done for someone. Some act I should have performed, but I failed to. How many know I'll be judged for that? Sins of omission, things I should have done. And then sins of commission, that is things I did I shouldn't have done. Now, before I go to bed every night, this is me. I say, God, if there's anything I messed up in today that I didn't realize, I ask for Jesus' blood to cleanse me. How many know if you confess your sins? In fact, listen to 1 John 1.8. If we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. You know every day I mention that verse to the Lord. I say, "Even though I'm a pastor, even though I've been in God for 44 years, I mention that verse. If I say I have no sin, I deceive myself, and the truth is not in me. So Lord, I lay my heart bare. If there's anything I've done today, anything right now, Lord, if there's anything I messed up and I forgot to deal with it, help me deal with it now. How many know that's important? He said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. See, I do one thing God does for. I confess, he'll be faithful, he'll be just, he'll forgive me, and he'll cleanse me. And then 1 John 2, 1 and 2, my dear children, New Living Translation, I'm writing this to you so you'll not sin. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins not only our sins but the sins of the whole world so you know for me this is the way i live my life y'all if i say something i shouldn't have said if it's to someone and 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 they know i did wrong then i go right back to them and say look i was wrong forgive me for saying that many times i've gone to susan said i shouldn't have said that many times i've dropped to my knees with my kids with tears daddy did it wrong daddy was angry he said what he shouldn't have said to mama or I said what I shouldn't have said to you, or I treated that person in the store wrongly. I was wrong. That was sin. And I ask you to forgive. See, when you, you do that in front, you don't have to be perfect. I mean, your children know you're not perfect anyway. So if you just acknowledge it, you know, it just keeps the air clean. And see, God knows we're not perfect too. You know what? All He wants us to, to acknowledge it. Why? When we do wrong, talk about it to Him. Say, I'm wrong. Help me not to do it again. What am I doing when I do that? I'm keeping my conscience from getting hard. But if I do things and say things I know that I know are wrong and I don't deal with them, and that's where the American church is today in a lot of ways. We don't deal with things. We just let them go. We think, well, I just let that slide. People just forget it. No, 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 no. No, you don't forget it. Your conscience doesn't forget it. But you know, when you ask God to forgive you, you can forget it. Because he kept our sins into the depths of the sea. I, even I, and he who blots out your transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember your sin. God doesn't remember confessed sin. Is that good news? Yes. As far as the east is from the west, Psalm 103, 12. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. The <laughs> good news is I confess my sin. God acts towards me like I never did it and that keeps my conscience clean does that make sense